0: Hello and welcome to Lion and Mouse Commentary. I'm Tori and this is my best friend Holland. Hello. If you're new to our show, we rank various forms of entertainment by different categories out of a total score of 10, with only two points allowed for our personal taste. Don't worry, we break everything down as we go. Feel free to agree, disagree, or just find something new to enjoy. Be sure to tread lightly, there will be hot takes and spoilers. Cut to the intro. Okay, today we're doing Twilight New Moon, which is back by popular demand as when our Twilight episode went up, lots of people talked to me about that uh, and how much they enjoyed that episode. So we decided we were going to move forward with the series and do New Moon. This is familiar to me and blind to Holland. Um, But here's some background before we get into things. So, New Moon was released November 20th, 2009, almost in exactly a year minus two days after Twilight was released. This was directed by Chris Weitz, so we got a different um, director this time. Story was done by Melissa Rosenberg again, based on the novel by Stephanie Meyer, uh, and produced again by Mark Morgan and Wick Godfrey. Running time of 130 minutes, stars kristen stewart robert pattinson taylor lautner ashley green and billy burke um here's the google synopsis okay so i thought the google synopsis for our twilight episode was really funny so i decided to use the google synopsis for new moon because it's also very funny so are you ready i'm ready okay bella swan i hang on i need to do this dramatically dramatic reading please Bella Swan is on the cusp of her 18th birthday and blissfully happy with her undead beau, Edward Cullen. While celebrating her birthday with Edward's family of vegetarian vampires, a frightening incident convinces Edward that he's simply too dangerous to be around his sweetheart. He decides to leave the town of Forks in order to ensure her safety, leaving her behind angry
1: and depressed. That was great traumatic reading. Thank you. I mean, I, my eyes are rolling out of my head <laughs> from the way that was I tried, written. But I that heard, was no disservice to your ability for I, traumatic reading.
0: I was struggling not to laugh after the first line. They, it, they call Edward her undead beau. Oh my gracious. <laughs> I can't. Okay, uh, so that that out of the way, um, why don't you kick us off with our first category? All right.
1: right, so our first category is plot and story delivery, total possible score of two, and once again, I gave this zero points. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I gave it zero points for last time. I'm pretty time. sure you did. Um, this, again, this plot is terrible. It's so horrible. The fact that they open with... Romeo and Juliet just lets you know you're about to have a bad time because Stephanie, I like literally they open up and they're talking about Romeo and Juliet or whatever. And I'm like, are, is Stephanie Meyer seriously going to rip off Romeo and Juliet for the storyline of this movie? And guess what folks she does. (laughs) It's the dumbest thing. Like everybody has to read or, I mean, I guess when I was in high school, Everybody had to read Romeo and Juliet for school. I don't know if they still make you read Shakespeare in school or not, but I had to read it, and Romeo and Juliet was just like, you know, the star-crossed lovers of District 12 kind of thing. You know, (laughs) it's just like that story's not new for anyone. And, but my gosh, like we can't even be original. We have to write. Uh, uh, It's terrible. It's terrible. I don't even really know where to where to start with, with the discussing discussing this plot. Um, I thought you said disgusting, and I was about to be like fitting. It is disgusting. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> so it's just like the the there's an op- the opening dream sequence is just it's just so heavy handed. It's just like I, I mean I feel like it was from a fan fiction novel. Like, it's just so heavy-handed, so over-the-top. I don't understand why in this in this movie, Bella, when she's dreaming and is having these nightmares... Like, throughout the whole story, why she's screaming and writhing in her sleep while she... Try- like, that's not a thing. I mean, like... It, Nobody—it's like somebody searing her with a hot poker <laughs> while she's dreaming, and like is that something that painful wouldn't wake her up? It's just—it's ludicrous. But the the whole plot <laughs> set up, just like last time, is just as nonsensical. This time, it's Bella's 18th birthday. Her friends that she's been super besties with this whole time, this whole school year—they don't even remember her birthday. I don't like people talking about my birthday. I don't want people to remember. And then Edward is just like, pops in, and then Jacob pops in, and it's like, oh, hey, remember these guys? And it's just like, they pop up, and Jacob's still wearing a bad wig, and <laughs> <True>. <laughs> it's just like, then they va- Jacob pops up and vaguely talks about his car, or motorcycle, or whatever it is, because we're not going to actually tell you, but they don't right. tell you. They just call it the rabbit. They just, just assume you're going to know, mm-hmm. and then while Edward stands there lurking in the parking lot, listening to this conversation. It's just, it's ridiculous. And then the the whole rest of the beginning to like set up your plot for the movie is just like, oh, by the way, we're going to throw in all these things that you knew this, right? No, you didn't. How was I supposed to know that? All I've seen is the first movie. It's like one of those plots. And this is, I feel like this happens a lot in content films and TV shows. You know, whatever that are based off of a book source Mm -hmm. material is in presenting you the storyline for this film, they assume that you have read the story and the book, or the book, they assume you've read the book, and they assume that you know everything that's happened, that's supposed to be happening. You know why this is going on, and why this is going on, and we don't have to tell you, because you read the book. Which was probably the case for the majority of the people that right. saw this movie in but theaters. Like, for
0: instance, there's, like, when we watched these together, because you wanted to watch this together again, which is fine, because it's very funny for me to watch Holland watch these blind.
1: I do it strictly for Tori's entertainment. But
0: there are times where Holland is like, what, what are they talking about? And I have to, like... St- we have to take a moment to stop and have me explain, like, well, in the book, they explain to you, but I shouldn't have to do that. Right. Because you should have all of the relevant information that you need presented to you in the movie. Right.
1: If it's necessary, then you need to give me some storytelling. And if it's not necessary, then why is it in the movie? It's just ridiculous. Like, the whole part where you're watching this movie and it's in the beginning, a few scenes, and you find out that Jasper can control people's emotions. Well, that was never explained, but we're just going to gloss over that. Like you've always known that. Well, yeah. nobody's ever said anything about that in the in the first movie or in this movie. We're just going to assume that you know it. And that, to me, that's just poor storytelling. Just all these things that just kind of fall into place. Just have some notes here. Um, it's just, it's almost laughable. Like the the whole concept of the 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 vampire overlords the or whatever Volturi. they're called yeah those guys <laughs> i couldn't remember what they're called the Volturi. yeah those guys it's like oh they're gonna dress like tom cruise in interview with a vampire and they're really smart and old and they act like old people and it's like Okay, now we have some vampire bad guys, which we had in the first movie, but these guys are different bad guys. But we're not really going to tell you why or how they're different. We're just going to have you watch somebody's, some vampire get their head ripped off, which is... Okay, sure. That's just coming out of nowhere. Like, I, I mean... And then... It's just... It's so bad. It's so bad. I don't understand how... um Bella can get a massive hemorrhage on her finger from a gift wrap box. Well, it- like it's wrapping paper. It's not even like the ribbon was made of like tin foil or tin- like tinsel or something sharp with a sharp edge. It's like I'm just going to give myself a paper cut on wrapping paper and bleed and then get pushed into a wall and then bleed some more and that's the whole crux of why Edward thinks it's time to end our relationship. Well, the weird thing
0: to me is, and sorry if I'm cutting in a lot, I just, I'm, I want to like make notes on the things that you say that I also don't have in my notes, and this is one of them. It's weird to me because if we're going to present the idea that the Cullens have acclimated into real life, there is no way that Jasper goes to school five days a week where there is paper- where people are getting paper cuts and he's not murdering people in the classrooms. Like why, why is Bella's paper cut? The first paper cut he has ever come across in his, you know, however long they've been here right. in Forks. Like, that doesn't make any sense well, at
1: all. Well, and how long does it take for a vegetarian vampire to be happy being a vegetarian. It's like, how long have we known Jasper at this point? How long have Edward and Bella like been a, dating? It's, it's been like suggested a year? it's been
0: like a year. Yeah, it,
1: the impression, at least, of course, another thing, they don't even tell you in the movie how long has this been. Like, this could be the week after the first movie. True. We don't know. But they, you know, how long has he been, you know, socializing with people and adapting to normal life? Like, and Or actually,
0: now that I'm thinking about it, doesn't New Moon pick up with... Is it is it the beginning of the new school year? If if like it ended in at prom, at the end of the first movie, I don't remember actually. Yeah, is it if, like
1: the end of summer? Yeah, so if I it's don't only, maybe
0: it's only been the summer, but it's vague enough that that's a storytelling problem. You know what I mean?
1: Right. So right. So it, it it's just like okay, you would think these people are and he's Jasper's in school and he seems perfectly fine. He's perf- comfortable with everybody. Like. You know, he's exposed to people all the time right. and now all of a sudden they're having dinner and he's going feral on on Bella because she got a paper cut and then Edward he oh they've they've Bella's been hanging out with the Cullens all this time and Jasper's never had a slip up until right now and so now Edward just thinks it's just the end of the world like the, what? Like it doesn't make any sense it, at all. It makes no sense whatsoever. And then the whole The whole core of this plot is essentially just a love triangle between Bella, Edward, and Jacob. And, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's soap opera level quality. Like, how many love triangles can we do? That does not... Having a love triangle does not immediately make your plot interesting and viable. So it's a shaky foundation anyways but that's the whole crux of the plot and the whole reason that the love triangle even starts is because edward drastically shifts from i've you know how i feel about you you know i love you blah blah blah, and literally the next day he says I've, i hate you and i don't ever want to see you again like what what that's why it's not like some i mean you could have you it's almost like you had it Going a little bit where he's like, we have to move because people are getting suspicious. Well, were people getting suspicious? Like, how long have all these people known the Cullen family? Because I'm pretty sure in the first movie, they mentioned how they moved away and then came back. Mm -hmm. So all these people in town have seen the Cullens before they moved away. They've seen them now that they come back. And then now it's suspicious that they're not aging. It wasn't suspicious that when they moved away and then came back, they didn't age. So they moved away because I guess the first time, because it was time to, you know, stay nomadic. So people wouldn't catch on to us. But then we're going to move back with enough time that people that are still alive can remember us and know that we haven't aged. And then, oh, time to uproot and move again. Like- the impression I get in that whole plot is like... I get—I think it was Anna Kendrick's character that may have mentioned it in the first movie. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. I've blocked the majority <laughs> of these movies. But if someone in high school remembers, oh, it's the Cullen family. Like, it would have had to be like within your high school year. Otherwise, you would have known like, oh, I was in middle school and the Cullens were in high school. Because they haven't aged. And now they're they're back and they're still in high school. And I've moved from elementary school to high school in that time span.
0: So I think that the implication is that... Because I think it's supposed to be that they originally lived in Forks in like the 1910s and 20s. Like very recently after Edward had become changed or turned or whatever whatever, term you want to use. I don't know. Because when you have the flashbacks that are all told from... The Quilluuts' like perspective, when we'll t- and I'll talk more about this a, a little bit too, with the whole like treaty that they have between the Quilluuts and the Cullens, the implication is that it was back in like the 1910s and 20s, and then they moved away, and now they are back. So it's been
1: like multiple decades, right? But then why is Anna Kendrick yeah, talking I don't about how she knows the, the that they moved does... away and came back?
0: Yeah, it's like the dialogue doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. So there's so many plot holes in this movie. Here's some more plot holes. I'm just going to kind of rapid fire these. Okay. And then, you know, you get the gist. (laughs) Yeah. But um, why when Bella passes out in the woods, why does a naked man carry her out (laughs) of the woods and walk up in the cold? Everybody's wearing coats and he has no shirt on and he's just sauntering in with Bella in his arms and nobody asks him questions. Nobody's like, where did you find her? Who are you? Where what are you doing here? Why are what you were not wearing you, a shirt? Why are you shirtless in the woods picking up strange teenage girls? <laughs> no, nobody has any questions about that. That's great. I thought her dad was a cop. <laughs> um Bella moping in her room for months and months and months uh, makes her look absolutely pathetic. <laughs> yeah. It just completely <laughs> pathetic. I'm sorry. You can say, oh, but you you know, you don't understand what it's like being depressed. Okay, I do understand what it's like being depressed. But they have portrayed her depression to look so pathetic and they could have easily corrected it and just said she's having these long bouts of depression by not have her sit in the same chair the entire time. That whole part of she doesn't even move from the chair. She just sits in one spot staring out the window while life moves on without her. And just we act like this is normal. And, oh, it's just a, a symbol of how much she loves and misses. Hep- no. This is this mental illness. Like, you you have depression and you need some help. Like, uh-huh. genuinely. Get like some help, please. Please get some help. Like, there's lots of help for people with I'm depression out there. I'm sure there's a there. therapist in Forks. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, you know, her dad's right. Like, this is not healthy. Yeah. Like, thank you, dad, for yeah. being a dad here for a minute. Yeah. But... Um, and then she has these hallucinations, which I, I hate the fact that we're never told what these are, because we're we're told just in passing, with no explanation whatsoever, that a vampire can control your emotions. And then Bella's having hallucinations of her departed boyfriend, and we're never told what that is. We're never that's never explained to us. But because this is a movie about vampires and werewolves, as a viewer. For watching this for the first time, I'm like, oh, is Edward like supernaturally visiting her because he's a supernatural entity? Like, there is no answer in this movie. Whatever the book says, I don't know. But it's like, so the having hallucinations like that does not make her look any better because now she is engaging in reckless behavior to have more hallucinations. Like, this yeah. is is terrible. This terrible. Like. This is a horrible example for children and <laughs> young teenagers to have as a role model in their life. But that's a whole other topic. <laughs> uh, when Bella and Jacob are at the movies and the friend that they're with Mike. decides that he needs to go throw up because the movie is so violent, he is having the longest time vomiting. He has no stomach contents left, period, because he takes so long in the bathroom for Ed, or not Edward. Jacob and Bella to have this extremely long conversation, like that's just ridiculous. It made no sense. We I was watching. It. I was literally thinking like, because he is leaves
0: that? like while the movie is still going, and then Bella and Jacob leave at the end of the movie, and he's still
1: throwing up in the bathroom. Is that how it goes down? I thought I they got up so. and no, they got up and left when he got up and had to throw up. Right.
0: I thought Mike gets up and leaves the theater while the movie's going on. And then it, we just see the cut of Bella and Jacob leaving the theater. So I always assumed that they watched the rest oh, of the movie. Maybe. And Mike just literally never comes back to the theater. And they're just sitting around waiting on him. And then... And then he's still in the bathroom. He's still in the he bathroom. Comes at, regardless,
1: I mean, he comes out right. of the bathroom at the end of that.
0: But it's like, I think it's even longer than them just having the conversation on the stairwell.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The scene prior to that, when Jacob and uh, Bella are at the table and Mike or whatever his name is, asks her if if she wants to go see a movie or whatever. That whole scene where they're sitting around the table is just, it feels like I'm watching a B movie. Mm -hmm. Like it makes, it makes no sense. It's like, let's have an obligatory friends at the lunch table conversation. Like it's just, it seems so bizarre. Another thing, what the guy that's driving the motorcycle that Bella gets on and then starts hallucinating Edward Why in the world is he, like, 45 years old? Like, he's not even attractive or, like, he's clearly predatory. And, That's why Jessica is like, are you crazy when she comes back? Yeah. I mean, Jessica is... A real one for A real one for sticking around through that process. But really, she should have called the police. (laughs) Or, like, Bella's dad. Right. Who is a police officer. Right. Um, The the whole movie just gives you this plot that like the entire world just revolves around Bella. It's just so, it's such a, and she's not even an admirable person to be rooting for because she's just, she's just so full of self-pity. And uh, I mean, I'll get more into that in the characters section. But the huge thing I had a problem with was Bella wants to become a vampire so she can be with Edward forever. And the entire Cullen family just votes yes. With the exception of Rosalie. Right, okay. She's the smartest one. But other than her, like the entire family, like, are you kidding me? Aren't you supposed to be the adults in this conversation? I and have you're something to just, say about that too, I yeah. mean, it's like, oh, we've lived long enough that we've seen all the horrible things about being a vampire and how terrible it is, whatever. But I guess, I, I mean, I guess you technically could argue that like... Carlisle clearly has no problems turning people into vampires. So maybe it's like, that's just, he genuinely doesn't have a moral problem with it or have a, think it's a bad idea. I will talk about that. I will talk about that. I will address that point. Okay. Okay. So that, I was just like, this is so dumb. And now you've removed all of the conflict from the story because if everybody thinks that Bella should just be a vampire and the only one opposed to it is Edward, Like now you you really don't have a lot of tension. If the whole family was against it, that would actually make for a more interesting plot because now nobody is going to turn Bella into a vampire and she can't force somebody to do that if that's what she wants. So it would just make for a much more dynamic plot if the whole family had forget the fact that it's just not common sense, but if they were opposed to her plan, it would just make a more interesting plot. But then mm-hmm. when they're all like, oh, I vote yes, you're like a sister to me anyways, woohoo, then, uh, okay, well, now the plot's just gotten boring. This isn't right. even interesting anymore. And then finally, the last note I have, um, well, I have two notes. Um, one is, the first one I'll, I'll mention is at the very end of the movie, Bella, not Bella, I'm getting all their names mixed up. When Edward calls Bella's house yeah. and he's trying to talk to her. Right. And Jacob, he asks for Bella's dad and mm-hmm. Jacob says, he's planning a funeral. And, and
0: then, then hangs he, up. And
1: then hangs up. That was all it took for Edward to just go, well, Bella's dead. I guess I'm going to go commit <laughs> vampire suicide by exposing myself to the... What? He didn't even know... Did he even know that was Jacob? No, he just assumes that... And he doesn't even know, like, what funeral? What? He just assumes that... And you would
0: think that, like, Edward would have the knowledge to be like, well, Charlie is in the police force, so he probably deals with the subject of death, like, on a fairly regular basis. Like, it could have been somebody in the force. Like, you know, it could have been anybody.
1: Yeah, it could have been his mom. Like, but he just immediately jumps to the conclusion that Bella is dead. I'm going to go, like, expose myself to the human world and have the vampire overlords (laughs) execute me. Like, are you kidding me? That's all it took? It's like, I mean, I said at the beginning, Stephanie Meyer here is ripping off Romeo and Juliet. It's basically Romeo and Juliet. But I can't even give you credit because you just stole it from Romeo and Juliet. And finally, one of the biggest, this is one of the biggest issues with the plot that I have. And I will cover a little bit of it in aesthetics too, but why I, I cause I haven't mentioned this at all. Why in the world you have a story about vampires, which are not conventional vampires. Okay. That's your, uh, you have creative license to do whatever you want. Stephanie Meyer, you can write whatever you want. It's your book. I don't have a book published. So who am I to judge? <laughs> So your werewolves, of course, are not going to be conventional. So we don't have any of the typical like vamp- like vampire lore. We don't have any of the typical werewolf lore. You know, the, do they turn into werewolves on the full moon? We don't know. Do they? Clearly they can change at will. You know, so here we have these, these unconventional werewolf stories. And they don't actually turn into like the Wolfman, like Lon Chaney's the Wolfman. They turn into actual wolves. Okay, I can, I can concede that. Like that's just a unique point here. Um, but why do they turn into wolves the size of school buses? <laughs> can someone explain that to me? Like who said, oh, guess what? We're going to make them turn into wolves, but they're going to be like 10 feet high. <laughs> they're going to be huge. They're going to be giant wolves. And you know what? They're g- <laughs> that's just gonna be it. It's, it's gonna be sick. It's what? <laughs> what? So they're giants. They're not. I mean, they're not giant people. people. Right, right, right. 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 You know. Yeah, yeah. But that's the that's the thing is there's nothing super about them at all except that you know Jacob gets you know parkour powers <laughs> when he wants to jump into Bella's window.
0: Uh
1: huh. So they get parkour powers and like, a gag order from their alpha leader. Those are kind of lame, okay? <laughs> uh-huh. And then they turn into gigantic, <laughs> gigantic wolves. Like, that's real discreet. It's like the vampire thing, you you know, you I, I'll give you a little bit of leniency with the vampire thing because, like, okay, we've kind of figured out lore to figure out how they're going to blend into a human environment, blah, blah, blah. Where in the world... Are you gonna live as a werewolf, where people are not gonna go? Yeah, there aren't wolves that big in real life. This has got to be something fishy.
0: Like if they were normal sized, and you know Joe Schmo was taking his you know evening hike through the woods and saw them, he would just be like, "Oh, wolves." But if he right. saw them, the Quileutes, he'd be like, "What
1: the? Heck? They're bigger than bears. <laughs> yeah. Like that's unnatural. Like how are we hiding this? It's not like." You know, and it's not like we went with, like, the, the Mighty Joe Young route where it's like, ooh, this mountain has a mythical animal, like Bigfoot or something. You know, like, oh, this mountain has giant wolves that got, you know, radioactive water. And, you know, it's, it's not like we have this, like, myth surrounding right, right, right. it. It's like, no, we just, we just mosey on through the woods and people think we're regular wolves. Nobody's finding any huge tracks. Nobody's finding any, like, you know signs that these giant animals have been around finding fur like yeah it, it, i had a huge issue with that so i'm i tried to give it points for a plot but really the only part of the plot that's remotely interesting i can't even say that i'm trying what, it's not it's not remotely interesting What were you gonna say i was thinking is the part about romeo and juliet the part that no. ripped off romeo and juliet but even that's not interesting
0: yeah because it's done so much
1: and it's it's Poorly done.
0: Especially with characters that you don't like.
1: Right. Right. Which I'll get into that in characters. But yeah, there's just plot. Terrible. Zero out of, zero out of two.
0: Okay. For me, for plot and story delivery, I gave it half a point out of two. So um, I agree with a lot of your points. Um, the My biggest problem here with the plot and story delivery is that this whole thing could have been a chapter in in the story. Not an entire book slash script. The whole thing could be condensed down to like 30, 40 minutes max. Absolutely. The whole thing. And it just feels so drawn out and it's a lot of the same thing over and over and over. And it gets to a point where it gets to be so predictable because we've, we establish in the first 10 minutes the like mood of our protagonist and that never ends through the whole movie. It's so silly, it's so shallow, the entire conflict it revolves around Bella, like you said, just the whole world revolves around Bella. But the entire conflict comes from the fact that Bella is depressed, and so she just uses everyone around her for her own benefit. And maybe that's a character note, but it's what the plot hinges on. Because the entire thing is just event after event after event of Bella being like, oh, I could get a little bit of an adrenaline rush and see these hallucinations if I, you know, do this crazy thing and don't regard Jessica's safety. If I take what, you know, if I pretend I want to spend all this time with Jacob and, you know, get this bike fixed up so then I can go, you know, fling myself down a dirt road. Like, the whole, everything basically boils down to Bella is just trying to get that adrenaline high for self-serving purposes and she'll say and do the nice things that she has to say and do to the people around her to get to her goal. It's not like she's actually trying to spend time with Jessica and you know maybe eventually she does warm up and have and, and have a, a bit of a friendship with Jacob, but that's not the goal. When she starts that, that is not the goal. The goal is not to spend time with Jacob. The goal is, I want to get this done and see Edward again. And it's so, it's just so self-serving. And so the plot gets so boring because you're like, okay, what's the next weird, dumb, reckless thing, dangerous thing she's going to do? Like, you can just, you just know that's what the goal is. Um, And then it comes down to this whole climax in Italy, okay? So Edward thinks Bella's dead, so he's going to go commit vampire suicide, and he's going to go show himself to the humans in the middle of this festival in Italy, and then the Volturi's going to rip his head off, and he'll, you know, finally be at peace, or whatever. I don't know, like, what the goal is. But that whole thing, I think it's presented... As if this is like a sacrificial thing that now Bella is going to go and save Edward. And like, but no, it's actually not sacrificial. It still comes back to Bella being self-serving because this is my chance to see Edward again. Now I know where he is and I can get to him. So now, yay, I get to go see my boyfriend again. And then she does, you know, there's the whole scene of them in front of the Volturi Council. And Bella's like, no, no, don't hurt him. Kill me instead. But, like, that doesn't do anything for anybody. It it's still every uh, just the whole plot boils down to Bella just being so self-centered and self-serving and all she can see is her desire for Edward. I don't even think that it's like Bella is focused on Edward. Bella is focused on her desire for Edward. And that's different because if her if her concern was truly like what was best for Edward, that the entire movie wouldn't exist really. And anyway, but Really, I should say, like, f- the whole plot from Edward's perspective, though, is so stupid, too. Because his action to leave is very self-serving as well. So it's like, these we have these two incredibly self-serving, self-focused, selfish people, and we're supposed to root for them? Absolutely not! And so, the whole time through this movie, I just get so irritated at how every event, the catalyst for every event is Bella saying, you know... And of course, she doesn't say this. No dialogue is written like this, but the crux of every event in this movie is Bella just trying to get, you know, a high for a few minutes. And it's just so irritating. Um, This plot really is not that complicated. It's actually really kind of stupidly simple. And they drag it out and they overcomplicate it for no reason. And that's why I think this whole movie and that whole book could really be condensed condensed heavily. And I know that a lot of people could argue with me and say well, New Moon is the book that like sort of fleshes out the werewolf side of things and Jacob as a character, but sure, Jacob is kind of a big focus in this movie, but the movie does not give fair time to all the other werewolf characters in that are introduced, and they play pretty big parts in the series, but yet you, like, you barely hear all of their names but once. Like, other than Sam, whose name gets repeated a lot because he's the alpha, if you hadn't read the books like I have, like, could you, can you name any of the other vamp- or, uh, werewolves? No. No, exactly. Because they mention their names maybe once in, like, quick dialogue in, like, the middle of a monologue or something. And then you're like, your brain just control-alt-deletes it because- They're not constantly repeated in their names. We don't get to see, like, the home lives or, like, backstories of any of those boys. So if you're going to argue with me and say, well, New Moon is a werewolf-focused book, then focus on the werewolves and not so much on Bella's selfishness. So I don't think that that's really a fair argument when, if, if the goal was to, you know, widen Bella's friend circle now that she doesn't have the Cullens in her life, then do it in a way that makes them feel like genuine friend extensions of Bella. And we don't get any of that. It feels very weird. Um, And of course, you know, like the, the way that the relationship between Bella and the Quileutes forms does feel sort of natural because most friendships, I think, not most, but a lot of friendships can be sparked by a mutual friend. So you have Jacob as like that kind of mutual between them. But it never extend really extends past Jacob, Bella's relationship with any of these wolves. So how are they really important then? Because Jacob's not our protagonist. He's a big character, don't get me wrong. But if these are all people that are important to Jacob but they never really become important to Bella in the course of the movie, then what is the point? Do you know what I mean? So I know that some of, I, f- I feel like some of my plot issues do kind of bleed over into characters. So I'm sorry for that because I, tr- I try to keep them separate, but I just think that this plot is so contingent on characters and not necessarily in good ways that it's, it was hard for me to separate the two. Um, but... I just feel like it's a lot of wasted time it's a lot of wasted time it's a lot of wasted scenes it's a lot of wasted dialogue when we could get to the next thing that our protagonists have to get to but we don't get to the next thing with our two protagonists until the last 20 minutes of the movie um so it kind of goes back to like the weird pacing of the first movie where it's like you know an hour and 10 minutes of this movie is like setup of how vampires work and establishing the fact that bella and edward like each other and then we'll get a conflict and it's like okay we get a conflict in the beginning of this movie but then nothing really changes until the very end so just the pacing just feels so wasted and and it's unfortunate because um, and the reason i didn't give it zero points is because i do think overall this movie is more watchable than the first movie um and While it is still very poorly done, it feels a little bit less campy than the first movie plot wise. Um, And dialogue wise, um, it feels a little less campy, but it's still not. It's still not un un uncampy, there's still like a weird level of like unintentional humor in a lot of it. Um, So I think I'm being very generous when I give it half a point. Um, And it's just for those tiny little things. And it's really just to say that, like, in the series, you know, I think it's slightly better than what we had before. Um, But it's just so shallow. Like, it's just such a shallow story. So half a point out of two.
1: And it's like, the thing is about, like, Romeo and Juliet is kind of like the... I don't know if basis is the right word. Or if it's just kind of like an homage, there's homages to Romeo and Juliet. The whole point of Romeo and Juliet is not that this is an example of what true good love is. It's like, this is an example of what stupid teenagers do Mm -hmm. if left to their own devices. And this movie is the exact same plot, except we don't even have the satisfaction that it was a cautionary tale.
0: Right, right, right. And it's like with Romeo and Juliet, like I've always viewed it as like as a cautionary tale. Like, look how badly emotion can cloud judgment. And yet this whole movie, all New Moon does is like weirdly applaud the fact that Bella's emotion is, like judgment is clouded by her emotion for months and months on end. And it's like No, I don't like that lesson. And I don't like that this series is presented to an age demographic that would suffer the most from taking that advice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: I thought of another issue with the plot. So, like, a big hinge of the plot in this movie is the fact that the werewolf tribe has a treaty with the Cullens. Mm -hmm. and Oh, I forgot to
0: talk about that.
1: Sorry, go ahead. And then at the very end, we find out that Jacob says that if Edward bites Bella or if any of the Cullens bite a human, that basically the treaty's off. So like, ooh, we got high stakes now, which is interesting, Mm -hmm. except for the fact that Edward bit Bella in the first movie. So So how do we explain that?
0: Okay, I think the explanation for that, it's still a plot hole, but I think the explanation for that is that... With the treaty, it has to do with that area that they're in. And then when be- when Edward bit Bella to get the venom or whatever out of her, they were down in Florida or, or Arizona or wherever they were. They went back, or Arizona, because they went back to Phoenix for that. So I think that's like the explanation for that plot hole, but it's still a poor plot hole. But one thing I did forget to talk about. I forgot to talk about your note about how everybody just wants Bella to be Everybody votes that Bella should be a vampire. Yeah. And you're like, obviously Carlisle doesn't give a flip. And this is another poor storytelling thing that they should have brought over from the book. They make it, ex- it's excruciatingly clear, Carlisle makes it an incredibly huge point in the book series, that he does not and will not change anybody who he can save naturally as a doctor. So every single person in that family, it is explained to you, and you do eventually get backstories for each member of the Cullen family. But every single person was literally on the brink of death, and Carlisle as a doctor was like, I can, ch- I can let them die, or I can turn them. And those were his only options. He makes that very clear to Bella pretty early on in the story, in the books, and that's not really touched on at all. It's not touched on at all in the movie, so it does feel weird when the whole family is sitting around, and they're like, yeah, except for Rosalie, they're like, yeah, just change her, whatever, and it makes even less sense for me when Carlisle's like, yeah, I think we should turn her, because it's contradictory to him as a character. He made it a point to say that he does not change or turn anybody who is not already dying. Like, like no hope left dying. So to say, yeah, you can change her just cause you like her that much feels it's so backwards to everything that we know about Carlisle at that point.
1: So yeah, it's a terrible, terrible point. Yeah. And again, I feel like kinda going back to what we talked about in the first one, is like, how long have they been dating at this point? Like A year max. Yeah. And so is is doesn't don't they say in the movie that Doesn't Edward basically propose to Bella in the movie? At the end, yeah. At the end, he basically says, like, why... He says that's
0: his condition to changing her. Right. Is that they get married. So why
1: didn't anybody make that a suggestion? Like, why didn't any of the adults decide that that was a good plan? Because it's like, here, you're going to turn your girlfriend, give her a permanent consequence of a decision. And yet, she's not even ready to make a permanent decision to marry you yeah it's so stupid
0: like i'm i i don't have enough i I i'm afraid of commitment i don't want to commit to marriage but i'll commit to being your your Your, vampire girlfriend for the rest of my life i want to be with you for eternity but not with a ring on my finger like that doesn't make any sense right Right. and i Ah!
1: yeah it's it's so stupid sorry it's so stupid Oh, I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so our next category is characters. So total possible score of three for movies. I I really struggled with this. And pretty much the only reason I struggled with this, just full disclosure, was because I was factoring how this movie should compare with the first one. So I gave it half a point out of three. And I'm t- I'm telling you right now, the only reason I gave these characters this ca- this category half a point is because the casting is very well done in this movie, and I think that Taylor Lautner's acting he's he's doing a pretty good job. He's doing a pretty good job. He's doing a pretty good job. He's not phenomenal. He's not you know he's not going to be you know the next. Marlon Brando. I don't know. I can't think <laughs> of a... Well, who's like a legendary actor?
0: Uh, Tom Hanks.
1: I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, it wouldn't equate the... The two. The, well, you know, this is kind of like a, supposed to be like a teen drama. So I was trying to think of like a know. classic. But anyways, he is very young in this movie. I think that it should be noted, at least. I, I didn't really consider that necessary, uh necessary consideration is his his age because Kristen Stewart was very young in the first movie, but um he does a he does a good job for his age and the material he's given I think that he does you know he does his best and his best is is not bad for a movie like a teenage movie like this fantasy fiction kind of film um but everybody else is trash, and even jacob I don't like. That much as a character. So it's more of a testament to the casting overall and to Taylor Lautner's good old try.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He gave it the old college try. But
1: overall, there is no growth to any of these characters. And there is no development. Every single character is the exact same at the end of the movie as they are at the beginning of the movie. And that is just poor character development. Nobody grows, nobody changes, nobody is anybody different, anything different than what they were at the beginning of the movie. Um, Kristen Stewart, her acting has improved. She's lost a lot of those really awkward, jarring tics, physical tics tics that she has as, as a character. So that also I did kind of consider, well, I mean, it's better than the last, she's doing better than the last one. Um, For a little bit, but then when she's in the woods and and Edward's kind of confronting her, she, like, develops them all back.
0: She, like, reverts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Edward is just... He talks about how much he loves Bella, but then he acts like he's pissed off at her all the time. I don't understand that. He says, you're the only reason I have for living. And then, literally, in the next scene, he's like, you don't belong in my world. Like... Dude, make up your mind. Like, mm-hmm. what is wrong with you? I, I'm not gonna not gonna go too much into it. You covered a lot of the top the topics that and notes that I had on characters is just we just have a bunch of self absorbed characters that are just not interesting. They're doing everything just for their own self interest. There's no sacrificial tendencies whatsoever. The only one that does anything remotely nice is Jacob when he agrees to help Bella fix up the motorcycle and even then we can tell I think even from the first one that he has a genuine friendship for Bella and wants to have a a relationship with her even if it's not a romantic one and then we find out later that he really does want more than just friends but I think that you could argue that he offers to help her just from a genuine place of kindness and friendship and that's about the only self-sacrificing giving of yourself we see in the whole movie. Everybody else is just looking out for number one. Um, the the Voltori
0: I would argue and say like Charlie has a moment where he is like would it like do you want to go back to your mom? Like you know I think there's like a small moment where I think he does- do his best to try to, like, extend some kindness toward her. But it doesn't work anyway because she's been so distant from him the whole time.
1: Well, and and I would say that, you know, there's there's moments where the only two characters that have any common sense for a very brief minute are Jessica and Charlie when they basically call Bella out saying, mm-hmm. like, this is not normal. Like, you're nobody should be living this way. This is a problem. But there's not really any, I guess, warmth or kindness to that is is really the only point of why I didn't include I got gotcha. you know it's just a little a little different but okay. they do have this moment where they're they're trying to look out for her and they're trying to you know hello wake up you need to you need to get help of some kind you know which is a kind thing to do even if it's not necessarily a warmth um but i mean and jacob i mean he would be he had such good potential for a character because if he was just a good friend to Bella and he made the decision to just leave it there, he would have been such a more interesting character. And instead, he's kind of a simp. Mm-hmm. He's just like simping after Bella and just like head over heels in love with her. And it's just, it immediately makes him kind of a loser. Like, dude, this girl has some serious problems and she's using you Mm -hmm. and you're like, I don't care. Yeah. I like her. Right. No dude. Come on. Like,
0: Have a little bit of self-respect, man. Like you deserve better than that.
1: Right. Like, it's just terrible. Like, and I don't know how, like, again, going back to kind of when all the other vampires are like, Oh yes, I vote. Yes. Yes. Bella, you can become a vampire. It's like, How can vampires that are supposed to be hundreds of years old and have all this wealth of knowledge be so stupid? (laughs) How are these people so dumb? I can see the red flags from 10 miles away. And they're like, yep, this is all normal and great. Everything's great. Like, no, my goodness. It's just terrible. It's so terrible. Also, since it's not mentioned In the film, I mean, I don't know what the book says, but it's never mentioned in the film whether those hallucinations that Bella is having is actually Edward visiting her or if she's just losing her dang mind.
0: I don't think it's ever mentioned, like, explained.
1: It's never explained.
0: I don't think so. I cannot recall 100%. It's been very many years since I've read the books, but I don't recall any sort of explanation. I think it's being made up in her head, but I... I'm not 100% sure.
1: If it's not, Edward is a daggum liar. Because he's like, you'll never see me again. And then he's like, oh, hey, I'm here the next day to tell you what to do and what not to do. Like like Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, well, he's clearly got some problems for telling somebody that I never want to see you again and you're, n- you're not good for me. And to, oh, but he's doing it to protect her. Like, no. Like, if he's really 100 and whatever years old, like, you're technically an adult. You can have an adult conversation. And if Bella's going to be immature and stupid, you can chalk it up to her being 18. But, like, if you're old enough to have the knowledge and maturity of an adult, like, you can be the adult here and have a conversation with her. Like, it's just so stupid. I I just, I hate it. I hate it all. Um, I don't understand why Bella is so clingy with Jacob and she leads him on and she uses him. And then as soon as she finds out that he's a werewolf, she's like, you're a murderer. Oh, I, you terrible people. It's like, you're a racist, okay? Yeah. You hang out yep. with vampires. Yep. <laughs> and you've watched vampires that have clearly... Massacred people in your own hometown, <laughs> Thank and you. you're like, "Oh, the Cullens are good people." Yeah. And then your your you know best childhood friend tells you that they're a werewolf, and you're like, "You're a monster!" Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, and and Jacob
0: even says to her, he's like, "What? I'm not the right kind of monster for you." He yeah. says that line, and I'm like, "He right?" It's she kind of racist. He's not wrong.
1: <laughs> he's not wrong. And I mean. I think that in general, if your first exposure to vampires and werewolves was Twilight, I have great pity on you because <laughs> those classic monsters have been around <laughs> for a really long time. And I feel like in general, werewolves, the lore behind the werewolves is that they're humans, and when they're werewolves, they're not cognizant of what they're doing. The exact opposite is the case with vampires. Like, they're vampires all the time and they make decisions completely coherently the whole time. But it's like, Lon Chaney's the Wolfman and like American Werewolves in London or whatever. It's like, no, the things that they do when they're werewolves, like, that's not the person making those choices. Like, they're not cognizant of what's going on. So, that makes it even more ridiculous when Bella is like, trying to badmouth all the werewolves. Yeah. When it's like, you didn't even ask like yeah. what, like you, have you, you, what you're you talking literally about. don't even know what you're talking about. And you don't even ask like this guy you've known since you were kids making mud pies in the yard or whatever. Uh-huh. And now you're just like, I can't stand you. You've killed people. And it's like, wow. Way to just jump to conclusions here. Just cause your boyfriend's a vampire. Like <laughs> goodness. It's terrible. So, but I felt like I couldn't give it zero points just because I do think the casting's good, especially of all those minor characters, all the, the minor characters and, um, Sam and his other like pack members or whatever you want to call it. And his girl girlfriend, are they, is she his girlfriend, fiance, Emily. Um, yeah, the casting's great for all those characters, even for, um, some of the, the minor characters that are the vampire characters. I think the casting's done very well for those. Um, So overall, all the characters look like they feel and fit the world. And I do think that Taylor Lautner's acting ability is, is not bad. It's really not bad. Everybody else's, you know, like Tori said many times, a lot of times it's bad directing. It's not bad acting per se. Um, but i think of all the the characters or the actors you know they kind of work with what they're given so half a point out of three for me
0: okay for characters i gave it one point out of three um i do think that the casting is great like you said and i think that i'm sorry but i think the change in director was a good move because i think a lot of moments do feel more natural than we got in the first film. Um, so even though you don't necessarily have a good script to play with, um, at least the beats and a lot of the physical action a lot felt a lot more natural. So I, I do think that that's good. However, Bella and Edward are somehow even more hateable than the first movie. And I talked about that a bit because a lot of it has to do with like plot devices. Um, but they're just awful. They're just awful, like genuinely awful. Um, Jacob, Sam, and the rest of the wolves are pretty good characters, but there's, other than Jacob, there's really no real chance to get to know anybody, Um, and I talked about that a bit too. Um, When you think about this idea that, you know, Bella has been living in Forks for however long, and of course she's like, oh wow, vampires are real, and the first movie focuses a lot on that, and her like, realization that like the world is a little bit bigger than she thought in regards to that. And then it's like, Oh, werewolves are also real. Let's just gloss over that for the rest of the movie. So it almost feels like there's not the same devotion given to the werewolf pack as there is to the Cullens or vampires in general. And I understand that overall through the series, the focus is more on vampires, sure, but they're, that's all devoid in this movie. So we need to fill that void with the exploration of these new characters that you're going to introduce to us. And you just don't get any of that
1: exploration. And I feel like I understand people that are like, oh, well, we didn't want to do another origin story movie and it's like that's fine you don't have to but it would have made for a more interesting movie like you said this whole plot could have been a chapter in the story so you could have filled in that space and it really wouldn't have felt like we were watching twilight round two but with werewolves
0: right 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 exactly exactly so i just feel like it's a missed opportunity in in regards to the fact that we have all these new characters and they look really interesting. And, you know, the just the potential was so large and the execution was so disappointing. So that's just a sad note. I do think the introduction to the Volturi is neat and meeting the characters that we see. But that whole ordeal feels so campy because... Edward and Bella are being idiots. So the introduction of the Volturi and the understanding that they are kind of like the vampire royalty, as they're called, and they are the ones that enforce the few small rules that vampires have as sort of like a collective community. It's all a very interesting idea and they are posed as sort of like these scary villainous type creatures um, or characters. <clears throat> but we don't get a very good understanding of how they're different than the Cullens. Because the whole scene with the Volturi is let me show off all of our cool powers that we have. So it's like, oh, Jane, played by Dakota Fanning. She has the ability to just make people feel pain. So let me showcase her at our vampire circus for two minutes when we could be doing plot things. And so it just feels weird. It almost feels like a strange circus showcase of let me show you the powers that we can do without finding natural ways to, like, implement those character facets into the story because we only got 15 minutes left of the movie, so we got to, like, cram it all in. So it feels like these characters are spectacles instead of, like, real, like, functioning characters with a purpose in the story. Um, so I just, I, I feel like the introduction was so, um, so quick and, and rushed and forced that... Number one, it's probably easy to forget a lot of what's said and done in that scene. And two, it makes them feel like caricature, cartoony char- vampire characters in a strange way. So I just, I didn't really like that. Um, we talked about this. Rosalie is probably the smartest Cullen because of all sorts of reasons. Um, I think characters like Mike and Jessica are almost a, fresh of, a breath of fresh air because they are so normal and nobody else in this movie is. And Bella is just as human as her school friends are, but she acts like a emo twerp the whole time. And so nothing about her is appealing. Um, that leads me to piggyback on your note about Jacob being a simp. I think that is Jacob as a character, his biggest downfall is how big of a simp he is. But he's not the only simp that Bella has. Mike is also a simp for her. And I don't understand why she's got these men simping for her when she's not even hardly nice to anybody. That was the same problem in the first movie. Right. It's like, like, where like everybody was like, oh, new kid at school. And like, they all just like fawn over her. And I'm like, but why? Because Bella is presented in this way where it's like, incredibly difficult to spend, I would find it incredibly difficult to spend any time with her. So why are these men craving time with her when it's so awful to be around her? And it's not even like she's like genuinely kind to them, you know, because she's so self-serving and selfish through the whole movie. So, you know, when when Mike's like, let's go to the movies, and she's like, yeah, sure. And he's like, you want to go see this new rom-com? She's like, no, I want to go see Face Punch. It's like, you can't even let him have a pick for anything. Like, everything has to be on Bella's terms. Every, every moment that she spins with anybody else has to be on her terms. And I'm so sick of it. Like, can you just let somebody else have their moment for a second, Bella? Like, ugh, it just makes me so mad. So I, I like the characters of like Mike and Jessica and Eric and Angela and all of that, even though they are very small characters in the overall plot. It's like, I'm just so glad that I'm watching like a normal person do something for two minutes in this movie. And um, Jessica, when there's a lot of people going to see movies in this movie, (laughs) she goes to see a, a movie with Jacob and Mike. She goes to see a movie with Jessica. But when they're leaving the theater, Jessica has this moment where she's kind of like monologuing to herself. But it's because Bella doesn't contribute anything to their friendship, you know. So it's all on Jessica to like have this conversation. And she's talking about how, she was like, "'I was even surprised that you called, "'and you know, we haven't really seen you in months "'except for like at school "'cause you have to be at school or whatever.'" So she goes to school, she goes home, she sits in her chair and stares out the window and repeat. And so Jessica's like, "'I was surprised you even called "'because you know, we haven't seen you.'" And she's like, "'And I get that you've been depressed "'and I'm really sorry for you, "'but like I've been going through stuff too.'" And she names a few things that sure seem a little shallow. You know, she's like, Mike still doesn't, you know, notice me or whatever. And it's like, okay, in the grand scheme of things, you know, those are maybe shallow things to be concerned about. But
1: so is what Bella that's is what going I, through. Exactly.
0: But like, it, if you were to compare it, It's kind of the same thing, it's just relationship drama. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you are friends with somebody, sometimes you just have to listen to them talk, even if you don't give a flip about what they're saying. Part of being friends with somebody is like being available emotionally, at least some of the time. And Jessica gets none of that from Bella. I'm surprised she even agreed to go out with Bella because I would have been like, you know what girl, I haven't seen you in six months and I've been okay. Like, nothing's missing out of my life. You don't contribute. Now, I wouldn't say those things, but it's like that would be my mindset when considering do I say yes or no. So it's like, I don't know. And like, I get that like sometimes, you know, life happens and you don't spend time with people, but it's like when you spend time with somebody you haven't seen in a long time, there should be some level of like, comparable interaction like if you're just if if you call me and say hey Tori I want to go to lunch we haven't gone to lunch in months and I say yeah that sounds good and we sit down at lunch and you say nothing and hardly look at me and pick at your food I'm gonna just get up and I just I will want to get up and leave so props to Jessica because what a trooper
1: um you should um we should have a podcast on relationship advice because that's what this whole podcast is becoming right now. <laughs> Friendships, relationships.
0: Yeah. But it's and it's it's just because Bella sucks so much. Um, And, like, I feel bad for Charlie through a lot of this movie. And we don't have a lot of scenes with Charlie, but, like, there are a few moments where Charlie is really trying, as a dad, to, like, get Bella to, like, get up and get over this. And, you know, he does have to give her some tough love. And she just pouts and whines the whole time and you know depression does suck I'm not going to sit here and be like if you have depression you should just get over it because I'm not I'm not so like detached from reality that I can say something like that I mean I've struggled with depression I think everybody has struggled with depression at some point or another in their lives and at some level or, or another but there does come a point where you need people in your life To like pull you, help pull you out of that hole. And when they try to do that, please do not pull yourself back into the hole. And Bella spends the whole movie doing that. And it just gets so frustrating. And it's
1: like, it would be one thing if this was, you know, the facts of the case and we watched Bella grow and change and develop and overcome. But instead, all of these actions that she's doing are put up on a pedestal like it's an admirable quality. Right. It's like the things like that happen. Like people lose loved ones. People sure. have, you know, illness. People have horrible, horrible, horrible things happen to them. And they're in, you know, deep, dark places for mm. long periods of time. But the goal is not that being in a deep, dark place and ignoring and refusing help from people is the most admirable quality you can have. It's something you should actually aspire to have is to be in...
0: Like, wow, Bella's so strong because she she just toughs it out herself. No, she has very unhealthy coping mechanisms and needs to learn how to break those. And when there are people in her life that say, hey, your behavior is concerning and I think maybe we should get you some help, for her to be like no, it should not be the thing that everybody goes, yeah, you go,
1: Bella. Right, Like, please stop. That response is not an admirable response that we should be making the standard for people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's problematic with this movie is that a response like that, instead of the film and the direction of the character being, because people do have that response, that's reality, but instead of it being, this is a negative response to have, look at the consequences of that it's look at how she responds this way and guess what everything works out for her in the end anyways yeah exactly which is not always reality right so one out of three points for characters for me alrighty well next category is aesthetics out of two possible points I gave this half a point and I Pretty much for the same reasons as our last episode. Except aesthetically, I do think this is a lot better as far as color correction goes. It doesn't have those weird garish greens and blues. It seems like it has a lot more warm tones. Which maybe that was intentional. But I really get the impression that it was more because there's a different director in this film. I'm sure that's part of it, yeah. So it was easier on the eyes to watch... Um, the color palette's better. The costumes are still very consistent with these characters. They all look like they fit in the world in the time period they're supposed to be in. Um, I think Emily's, uh, face prosthetic looks, actually looks really good. I was, I was very impressed with that because prosthetics can go really bad really quickly. And it was actually done really well. Um, and then of course the scenery in this film, just like last time, is just a gorgeous piece of the country. So I those are the reasons that I gave it half a point, And that's about where the positives end <laughs> for me. Um, I don't understand how they can make the only way to kill a vampire look so lame. It's just visually, it's the lamest thing I've ever seen. I, I swear it looked like I thought it was a joke for a minute. Like, am I being punked? Like, is I'm supposed to take this seriously? It looked so lame. And again, this was a moment where I made a comment while Tori and I were watching the movie and Tori had to fill me in with content from the book to explain why their faces are cracking. How? Why does that make any sense? Like, things like that. It's just yeah. like, we just assume that you've read the book and you know. And... It still, it looked visually so lame. The way that the Volturi look at the beginning when they're kind of these Victorian-style garb, um, it just, to me, I get that it is kind of the stereotype, if you will, of what a vampire should look like. And I don't know if that was the intent was, oh, we're making a cute nod to typical looking vampires. I didn't get that impression. It just felt like it was overused and overdone. And here you are, you have a movie that is trying to retell the lore behind vampires and werewolves. And then yet we're going to give them Halloween costumes to look like vampires. That part of the costuming, I really didn't like. I felt like it was just, it was not original. If you wanted to, you've got all this original lore that you're going to tell me, and then you're going to dress them like a party city vampire. I just thought it was kind of lame. Um, The cliff dive, there's that one shot when they're cliff diving where it's like the camera follows the person that's diving into the water. I was so hokey. I was so corny looking. I swear I was watching like a YouTube video from 2010 instead of watching a cinematic millions of dollars of budget. Um, The CGI wolves looked okay, I guess, by comparison. The CGI is a little better in this movie, but there are moments where the wolves' heads look way too small uh, for their body, or their mouths are just their muzzles are really small for the rest of their heads. They look like their noses are just too short, just just uh, anatomically. I'm like you, literally can look up thousands of thousands of pictures of wolves and you know what a wolf is supposed to look like and so because we didn't make these werewolves more fantastical looking creatures we want them to look anatomically correct and there's times where i feel like they just don't and it was kind of distracting the (laughs) the scene where carlisle is suturing bella's arm too the way that they're they're holding each other. <laughs> it
0: feels very, very it does not feel cozy. appropriate. <laughs> why are you why are you caressing me? my know dad's
1: note, side. My note literally says, are they suturing or dancing? <laughs> because they look like they're about to start dancing romantically. And it just is awkward. And
0: I, and you have lots of medical experience, so you know that that's not how you would hold your arm if somebody was like suturing. You. No,
1: you would no. Nothing about that scene was good from a medical standpoint. Um, I don't know why he's burning things in a in the fire. I don't know what those weird instruments are sitting around the little little metal bulb that's burning things it's all of it just seemed so bizarre and then another thing it's like he's got all this gauze with all this blood on it and all it took was a paper cut for jasper to go bananas and there's all this blood sitting in a bowl and oh you know nobody cares about that i mean it's just like it's just so odd um when bella is jumps in the water and she's underwater. I did read that when they filmed it, they actually filmed, I think they, they've, in the, in the movie, is she positioned so she's upside down? Or she,
0: when she cliff dives, um, she comes back up and then the waves come and knock her back under and she starts kind of like turning. turning.
1: I read that for that shot, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong if you want to look on IMDb or whatever, um, but I believe when they filmed that scene, they had her lay like on her back underwater, and then they panned the camera to make it look like she was vertical instead of horizontal. And I thought it looked that way when they filmed it. I, I didn't think that it... Translated super well. They tried to uh, do some little camera tricks to make it look like she was vertical up and down versus being flat on her back underwater. Um, But I thought it looked like she was laying flat on her back. So visually, I understand that for safety reasons, they probably made some changes there. But um, it it didn't. I don't think that that translated very well. Um, The I I am sorry. This is probably going to get a lot of hate, but I cannot stand the red contact lenses that the vampires wear. I cannot stand them. They look horrible. I feel like in this day and age, we have really good quality for contact lenses and prosthetic, you know, special effects. And they're... So it just makes me believe that the way that those red lenses, those red contact lenses on the actor's look was completely intentional because it's not like they just changed the iris of the eye. They've changed the shape of the eye. Right. And the size and it just it looks so bad and it doesn't look It doesn't look inhuman to the point of where they look monstrous. It looks like poor anatomy. And I just really have a problem with that. Just visually. It's so distracting. I can't even pay attention to the actors. I
0: bet you that the goal there was what pops the most on camera and not what looks the best, like anatomically. But I think they should have chosen the other way around. And you can always do things in editing later to make people's eyes brighter.
1: Well, when did Lord of the Rings come out? Wasn't it like two thousand?
0: I think the first one was like 99 or 2000
1: so at some point in the original lord of the rings trilogy didn't or maybe it was in the hobbit i can't remember but i read that orlando bloom you know he has naturally brown eyes and his character is supposed to have blue eyes and so they they edited his eyes in post Mm -hmm. for one of the films i don't know if it was lord of the Rings series or the hobbit series one or the other but and i know that that's an expensive budget but if we can do that versus...
0: Especially in regards to, like, the f- these first two movies when the red-eyed vampires are really not in that
1: much of the movie. Right. Yeah, it's not a ton of screen time. Right. Like, if you really couldn't get something physical, like a practical effect to look good, there, I feel like there are plenty of other alternatives. Um, and then, in general, the... Fight scenes, I just think are terrible in this movie. They're boring. the The fight scenes with the werewolves and the the one vampire guy um, is it's just not even interesting. And the final fight scene is super boring. Um, I also noticed that <laughs> with Edward when he's about to step out into the sun, and then Bella. I don't know. Does she push him back in the yeah? In she the like building? she
0: like tackles him kind of. Yeah,
1: he miraculous. He miraculously finds some color to, to his skin because he is not pale at all in that scene. And I guess visually, it does make it feel a little more. It fits the tone of the movie, I guess, would be the best way to put it. But it is such a stark contrast because here we just saw. Robert Pattinson's entire torso this very pale color and now he's stepped into the building and he's no longer pale. Yeah. And it's like come on guys you couldn't even try just I mean make him a little more pale. Mm-hmm. It just it, it just felt like they didn't want to go to that much work or that Robert Pattinson didn't want to go to the makeup chair that day. And then I also just have a problem with the last combat scene being Edward Cullen in a bathrobe. Like, that's fair. That's it's not it's not interesting. It's just weird. So, I aesthetically I I really can't give it more than half a point, and I feel like half a point's being kind of generous. Um, but there are some good things in the in the visuals and there are a lot of improvements compared to the previous film. So that's why I gave it half a point out of 2.
0: Okay um i was way more generous and i gave it one and a half points out of two wow
1: i'm gonna explain
0: why most of my um compliments have to do with cinematography in general i think there has been such an improvement to the cinematography from the first movie the sets are wonderful the shots of all of the outdoor sets is wonderful I think that they do a lot of really interesting things um, with lighting in a lot of the indoor shots. Um, I know you talked about the weird scene between Bella and Carlisle when he's giving her the sutures, Um, but aside from all the weirdness and, you know, incorrect medical usage, um, that scene is lit very beautifully, and there's a lot of really cool effects with, there's like candles and stuff like in the back and it looks really, really nice the way that it sort of reflects on them. And you have the big windows behind them seeing out into the dark. So it's like a bunch of dark foliage behind them. And I think that's really beautiful. Uh, the scene where Edward first talks about the Volturi, the first mention of them that we have, um, they're looking at this like tapestry and Bella notices that Carlisle is in the tapestry. But outside of that tapestry, the room that they're standing in is just lit very interestingly, very beautifully, in sort of a dramatic way that I think benefits the scene. It doesn't feel like the campy sort of dramatic. So I think that's really, really good. Um, I think that, you did mention this, the scarring on Emily is really, really nice. Um, I think that there are a lot of really good transitions in this movie, too. Um Yes, the story part of this is awful, but the way that they did the scene of Bella sitting in the chair and the camera continually circles around her and we see the seasons change outside, we see the lighting shift as to to designate that it's later in the year and so the sun is setting earlier. So we get a like a lighting shift um, as we go around and around. It's really an interesting editing choice to do something like that. So I have to give it props, even though, you know, Bella does look pathetic during that scene. Um, technically, it's a very interesting thing to film, and it, I, it, not the sort of camera work that you see often in a transition like that. There's also really good transition in the montage. We get a montage of Bella and Jacob in the garage working on the bikes, and there's a few moments where the scene shifts and it's always on movement and it's really nice. There's a scene, one of the montages is them getting pizza delivered to the garage and Bella takes a slice out and she goes to toss it at Jacob. And as it shifts, it turns into a wrench that he catches and starts working on the bike. And so I think transitions like that are really clever pieces. Um, and ways to sort of move the story along, it it gives momentum. Um, and cutting on movement that you match is one of the most basic um, tidbits that I was taught in film school as a way to make your transition interesting. And to con- if you continue movement momentum, then it continues your scenes momentum. Even if you're changing scenes, or if you're changing within your scene, something like that is just a nice piece of movement. And since so much of this story feels so stagnantly predictable, moments like that I appreciate visually. I uh, think that the CG in regards to the wolf transformations between, um, human into Wolf was pretty nice. I think that sort of, the explosion to Wolf, if you will, is decent, but I do agree that the models are kind of wonky for the wolves. I feel like they look better when they're moving and then when they slow down or stay still is when they start to look kind of wonky. I think that of all the combat scenes that we get, which we get three kinds of combat scenes. We get the, uh, the vampire that's hunting Bella, Victoria, we get fights with her and the wolves, then we get the Volturi versus the Cullens, and then we get the wolf versus wolf. Of the three combat types that we see in this movie, I think the most believable ones are the wolf versus wolf ones. Um, I think those combats are actually done pretty well. And considering the fact that they're all done in CG, I think it helps because the CG is matching the CG. I think it, looks worse when you have a real actor and then there's like strange almost like blur added to the vampires to signify that they can, you know, move faster or they, you know, whatever. And so these this weird blur effect that they give onto the vampires in combat I think is not it's not super palatable from a viewer standpoint um because I don't think it really adds to the immersion of the fact that they're moving faster. It just looks like it's being filmed weird. Um so it almost kind of breaks that fourth wall in a weird way because now I'm thinking of technically like why does this look like this? So I do think that was one of the reasons that I took a little bit off. But genuinely, I think that the amount of improvement and since I don't watch these movies super super frequently, uh, but I have seen them numerous times. But watching Twilight just a few, like a month and a half ago and then watching New Moon, seeing them closer together really helped me realize how many improvements we have gotten from the first movie. And while I don't disagree with any of your critiques, they were things that didn't bother me as much. So I didn't really feel the need to take off more than just a half a point. Um, so maybe I'm being generous, sure, Uh, but since I think that overall, technically this movie is made so much better, um, and I, I think that there's a lot of great scenes, I think all of the, most of the scenes that are two people, and usually when you film a scene that's between two people, you have your wide establishing, as you always do, and then you usually get a cut in, and it's like profile of your two characters, um, and then you get what's called over-the-shoulders, so you are over the shoulder of one character, looking at the face of another, and then you do the reverse, and I think that the um, there's a, all of those that are in this movie are really nicely done, and they don't need to be complicated, but they're these nice clean shots, and I think they look so much better. Also, in the first movie, we got so many of those weird eye close-ups, and thankfully, That doesn't happen again in this movie. So you don't get these like strangely weird, uncomfortable close-ups of characters. I think the only time that happens is with Arrow in the Volturi. And you get like one weird close-up as he realizes that he can't like see Bella, Bella's thoughts like he can everybody else's. And she, so she can like block him as well as block Edward. I think there's one weird close-up at that moment. But I was just so thankful that we didn't have 42 like we did in the first movie. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'm being generous, but I just think that if I were just to watch this movie on mute, I think it would look so, so nice. I think it genuinely looks so nice. And the scene at the end where they do go to Italy and you see everybody in the red cloaks for the uh, festival, I think that's really nice shot. Um, so overall, I don't have that many critiques for aesthetics which is funny because usually i feel like i'm harder on aesthetics but i didn't have that many this time so one and a half points out of two
1: all righty so next category as always two points allotted for personal taste uh i don't think it's any surprise but i give this a zero out of two uh my, <laughs> my note is no just no okay <laughs> this movie is so terrible it's just literally a cheesy soap opera with school bus sized werewolves. It's the whole movie. Okay. And I just did not particularly enjoy it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it with Tori because she enjoys watching me react to it so mm-hmm. much. So I can't say that I did not enjoy watching this for our podcast because I did enjoy the experience of watching Tori laugh at me react to this movie, <laughs> but I would, I'd, Kid you not, I would never watch this again on my own, ever. Okay, so.
0: so for me, for personal taste and preference, I gave it one out of two points. And a lot of it goes back to what I talked about with the first movie. There is a lot of nostalgia in this series for me. Um, and that, you know, continues on through New Moon. I-, I do think it's better than the first film, but it's still bad. Like, I fully acknowledge that it is still bad. But I still watch these films and I continue to be entertained. Um... So I think as long as my entertainment's going to be there, I think there is going to be a little bit of attachment to it. Um, And so I don't really have much more to say outside of that. It is nostalgia-based. I am watching these through a little bit of rose-colored glasses. But it is what it is. Um,
1: One out of two points for personal taste for me. Alrighty. And then last category is creativity. And I gave this zero out of one point for creativity. I... This movie's just bad. Just as a film. This movie is bad. The first film I gave credit for creativity because of the impact that Twilight had on pop culture. And I think some would argue that New Moon did even more with a vampire-werewolf-love triangle. That that really catapulted the Twilight phase fad into pop culture as well as Team Edward or Team Jacob. And I mean, you could argue that. But I just think... More of a bad thing is just more of a bad thing. And it, this movie in and of itself, I don't think it would have been successful if the first movie hadn't been such a hit. So I think that really, as far as creativity goes, that first movie has carried the creativity. And the, still, I think that the first Twilight movie still has cultural impact it's still memed it's still you know spoofed it had a lot of spoofs um, at the time and it still does but new moon doesn't and the people that the only people i have heard talk about new moon as anything impactful are people that are genuine fans of the franchise and they've said oh yeah twilight's cheesy but new moon is so much better you have to watch that one and it's like that to me doesn't mean that there's any merit to creativity it's just the fan's perspective of it and that's valid for a fan's perspective but I I didn't think that that merited any credit for creativity for this film as a whole I think that you know maybe the books would merit points for creativity just because of the team Edward versus team Jacob but I don't think this film had that ad- impact so no points for creativity for me
0: okay um, I give it half a point out of one, um, and it's mostly just because it's still pretty iconic and it still made a whole lot of money. Um, but it is one of the more forgettable installments in the series. I think the only joke or meme that came out of New Moon is when is the line with Jacob when he sees Bella and he's like, where the hell you been, Loka? And it's like the only meme or thing that anybody remembers. And some people don't even remember it's from this movie. Um, Other than that, it's just like pretty forgettable. I think that, and it probably comes down to the fact that there's just so little meat in this story. Um, Not to say that the other installments in the series are meatier, but it's just, it could be so condensed that I think it's so easy to gloss over this installment of the series um but because it is still iconic it still made a whole lot of money um and there is a slight improvement uh to the technical creativity um i gave it half a point for those reasons all righty okay anything else do you want to say before we go into lightning round? got our
1: final scores
0: oh yes what was your final score
1: my final score for twilight new moon is one out of ten
0: So it's the same score. It is. (laughs) Minus four and a half, which is half a point better than my last Twilight score.
1: Yeah. And one of the biggest reasons that I gave any credit in characters was because I was tallying up my scores here and I realized I was like, I don't think New Moon is worse than the first movie. So I got to give it some credit somewhere. Yeah. So it's equal. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Anything else before we go into lightning round? No. All right. Question number one. Favorite character.
1: That's a really hard question. (laughs) I think if I had to pick a favorite character, it would probably be Sam's fiance. Emily. I think she's one of the most interesting characters and unfortunately I think one of the reasons she's so interesting is because we know so little about her. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. Maybe her. I don't know. Mm -hmm.
0: I. This is hard for me too. I think at this juncture it might be Jacob but he's still so pathetic sometimes that it's hard. For me to say that, so it's pro—it's between like Jacob in some scenes, and then like Rosalie for being the one person with any sense in the Cullen family in this movie. So probably one of them too. Okay, least favorite character—it'd
1: have to be Bella. Same, It'd have to be Bella. She I-, sucks. I mean, Edward's pretty trash too,
0: but at least he's not present in most of the movie. right.
1: The only reason. That he loses to Bella is because he's not in the movie enough. Yeah. But he's equally garbage. Right. He's just not... We have to
0: deal with him less. I didn't
1: have to put up with him as much. Right. So, Bella.
0: <laughs> okay, do you have a favorite scene?
1: I mean, that scene you mentioned where they're working on the motorcycle, mm-hmm. the transitions, mm-hmm. that's not a bad scene. Right. It's a pretty good scene. Especially because there's, like, no dialogue. Um. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's talking. Or saying stupid things. Um, I <laughs> this is not my favorite scene, but one thing I thought, just thinking about it, the scene where Bella goes and confronts Jacob, and he's standing there in the rain. Mm-hmm. I gotta give Taylor Lautner props for doing that scene with water running down his face and like dripping off his nose. Uh-huh. I mean that, and still being focused on. Bella or Kristen Stewart in the scene and he doesn't like ever wipe anything off his face. It's just like running all into his eyes and everything and you got to give that guy props for that.
0: He's in like denim shorts too. So you know that was uncomfortable because you know they got multiple takes from multiple angles.
1: Who knows how many days they had to film that. It's like
0: I can't imagine how uncomfortable that whole scene was.
1: I want to know how and I didn't I didn't mention this in the plot but I want to know how Jacob keeps his tennis shoes
0: on. I don't know. Good point. I don't know.
1: Cause he's always in those jean those jorts and the, <laughs> and the tennis shoes. And yeah. I wanna know how he keeps the tennis shoes on. I can I can give him a pass for the shorts because, you know, it's a kids' movie. We don't want a bunch of naked guys running around in the <laughs> right? woods. But how are those tennis shoes staying on? I don't know, man. I don't know. He wouldn't have his feet tough enough <laughs> after, you know, being able to turn into Mr. School bus size, wolf man. <laughs> uh, So that's
0: your favorite scene, maybe?
1: No, I think it would still be that transition scene. Okay. Transition I just had to... Was I just a- had to it was, you just wanted to It was an honorable mention.
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, I think my favorite scene... There's not very many good ones. Um, I feel like my favorite scene is after Bella jo- rejoins Jessica after getting on the motorcycle of a strange with a strange man and jessica's just ripping into her because i just think that's one of the most realistic scenes and she deserves everything that jessica delivers to her um so i don't know i think for me it's just one of those scenes where it's like it felt like jessica was speaking for all of us as a viewer so i think that's my favorite scene Okay, Uh, favorite set or, like, location?
1: I mean, I do think the scenes on... um, I guess they're technically living on the reservation. I do think those scenes, like, whether they're standing outside Jacob's house or they're inside Sam's house or, you know, all of those scenes are... The set dressing is just really good. It feels really organic. It doesn't feel like somebody just built a house for a movie. It feels like that those are homes that people have lived in for a really long time um and the surrounding woods area like even like when in that scene that i the just mentioned where you know sam and his fellow pack members are are calling jacob and they're sitting on the edge of the tree line so it's just very visually beautiful like i would i would go you know, take a weekend trip and stay there. Like it just, it looks really nice. Yeah. Um. But I I would, I don't know. I can't really think of anything that really stuck out to me as far as a set goes. Um, but I do think those just feel really organic and they feel those homes look like they're lived in and things like that. Even when Bella goes into Jacob's house and she like wakes him up and he's sleeping. Even those scenes, it, it feels like you just walked into his, like a home, you know, and a teenage kid's bedroom, things like that.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say Sam and Emily's home as well, because it just, there's something about that locale that does feel just, like, really real, and, you know, you have all of these wolf dudes hanging out, and, like, Emily is, like, the one woman there, and she, like, take there's the implication that she, like, takes care of them, like, she's making these massive muffins when B- Bella comes in and, like, sits down, or whatever, and, So I think when you just look around, it's so brief, but like you just look around and it just feels like it fits with the aesthetic, I guess, of all of these guys that we've met, all of these wolf guys, and then even Emily herself. And I get that they're all um, portrayed to be Native American, but it it, it doesn't feel like any sort of weird caricature of that, it just feels like a family of people... Um, Who are all very comfortable with each other and have known each other for years. And um, it it just feels like a very comfortable, cozy, lived-in home. So I would pick that as well. Okay. If you could make one specific change to anything of this movie. Plot, characters, aesthetics,
1: whatever. What would you pick? You can pick one thing. Just one. One. I would rewrite the entire story told and have it told strictly from jacob's perspective
0: oh okay that would be very interesting
1: i think it would be way more interesting it would be way more because interesting. then your time i think that would fix a lot of things in this this story as well because now your time is not focused on bella and her you know extended depression. Right. You can still tell that part of the story if you want to tell that part of the story, but now the focus is going to be on Jacob and his community and the things that he's going through. So that's, that's the change I would make.
0: I think that's a good one. Um, I think that if I could make one specific change, it would be, I would want Bella to stop being so self-focused and at least attempt to keep her relationships. And I think it would change the projection of the rest of the movie and also make, even if even if at the end of the movie, the catalyst was still that, you know, Edward's been away and he calls the house and he's told by Jacob that Charlie is planning a funeral and now he's gonna go commit vampire suicide. It would make everything leading up to that feel way better. And it would, I would not be as bored with Bella being like, this is my chance to go see Edward and save him. Because then it's like, oh, well, this is actually a problem. And like, I've been living my life okay without him, but like, he still meant something to me. So if this is an opportunity I can go and and truly like save him, then I'll do that. And it, it would, I think it would just color that decision in such a different way. So I would, my choice would be to make Bella at some point much earlier be like, you know what? I'm still going to try to continue the relationships that I have, even if I'm hurting and depressed through it. Like, I'm going to try to not let those slip away. You know, I let Edward slip away, but I won't let anybody else or whatever. I think that would have been a much nicer choice. Okay, last question. Would you rather be... On the Volturi Council or in Sam's Werewolf Pack?
1: Why would anyone pick the Volturi Council? Those guys I, are lame. I, true. They're the biggest nerds, man.
0: <laughs> so is that your answer? Yeah. Okay. Same. I just think it would be way more fun. It would be way more way fun. Way more fun. And you
1: have, like, a decent life. Yeah. Like, you're yeah. not, like... I mean, you've got some logistical hiccups here and there but geez like their lives are not affected at all Mm -hmm. like they don't really touch on any negatives that -hmm. those guys deal with yeah so yeah why would why wouldn't you pick that
0: fair all right well thank you guys for joining us on this episode hope you had a good time if you did not feel free to tell us why so that we can improve Links to our show notes, Patreon, socials, suggestion box, all of those things are on our website, which is lionandmousepodcast.com. You can also review this episode and let us know what you think. Uh, So thank you so much for listening as always. We'll catch you in the next one.